السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Qur'an. Having started from the end of the Qur'an, we've now reached Surah number 95, namely Surah Al-Teen. I'll quickly read the Arabic with a simple translation and then proceed with the explanation. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. By the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. By the fig and the olive. And by Mount Sinai. And by this secure city. Verily, we have created man in the most beautiful mold. Then we reduced him to the lowest of the low. Except for those who believe and who have, who do good deeds. So for them is an uninterrupted reward. So then what makes you reject the judgment? Is Allah not the most judge, the most just of judges? That's a simple translation of this famous surah of the Quran. It's one of the short surahs which is often recited by Imams in their salah and which most people hear and also know by heart. The Prophet ﷺ would also recite this surah as he would recite the parts of the Qur'an, but it's actually one of the prescribed surahs for Isha Salah. And there's a very beautiful hadith from the companion, Al-Bara ibn Azib, recorded by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, and others. 
The Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhu relates that we were on a journey with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he led us in prayer. And in one of the two raka'at, he recited Surah Wad-Din Wal-Zaytun. So Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhu says that I have never heard anyone with a more beautiful voice or a more beautiful recitation than the Prophet ﷺ. So he specifically mentions this in relation to the Prophet ﷺ reciting Surah Wad-Din Wal-Zaytun. And we learn from other hadith as well that he would read this in Isha in Maghrib on a journey in Medina. So it's one of the short surahs which many people read in as an observance of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by certain things in his creation, and I'll explain that in a moment when I proceed with the explanation. But this is the 95th surah of the Qur'an, known as Surah Al-Din, also known as Surah Wad-Din. And... It's one of the very earliest surahs revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah al-Mukarramah. The first three, four verses are, وَالدِّينَ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَطُولِ السِّنِينَ By the fig, وَالدِّينَ وَالزَّيْتُونَ and by the olive. وَطُولِ السِّنِينَ and by Mount Sinin, which is Sinai. وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ And by the secure city. As is the case with a number of things in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivers a very significant and pronounced message to the readers and listeners of the Qur'an. And Allah introduces this important message and this declaration with a number of oaths, sometimes one, sometimes more. And this only enhances the importance and the significance of the message delivered. It seals it and ratifies it and declares it to be a very important message worthy of being preceded and prefaced by a number of oaths by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a case here also. The the message which comes later is about the creation of man in the best form, in the best mold, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. And then the reversal of this beauty and its loss in man. So the loss of purity, the loss of beauty, the loss of perfection in human terms. The surah speaks about the rise and the fall of man, the improvement of man and his deterioration, the rise and decline of man, and man's potential to be either one of the highest of the high or the lowest of the low. 
And then, after this, Allah reminds the listeners of the Day of Judgment. In fact, this is one of the very first surahs of the Qur'an which clearly speaks about the Day of Reckoning and the Day of Judgment. And then declares that it will be a day in which the whole of creation will be held to account and there will be no injustice whatsoever for who could be a greater judge and who could be more just of all those who judge than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the important message of the Qur'an, of this particular surah. And Allah introduces that with a number of oaths. And the oaths are actually connected to the message. So first of all, وَالدِّينَ وَالزَّيْتُونَ This is one verse. The second verse is وَطُورِ السِّينِينَ And the third verse is وَهَاذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ By the fig and the olive, that's one verse. The second oath is by Mount Sinai. Sinin is just one of the variants of the word Sinai. It's known as Sina, Sina, Sinin. And that is a reference to Sinai. And Tul means a mountain. And Wahad al-Balad al-Amin is the third verse which refers to this city. And before I actually explain the first verse, allow me to explain the second and the third which will help us understand the first verse better. The second verse is, وَطُورِ سِينِينَ Allah swears by Mount Sinai. Now Sinai is very, it's well known, is the uh, Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Palestine. So Mount Sinai is one of the mountains in, the, in, in Sinai. Now here, there's also an argument that this particular mount, Sinai, is not actually in the Sinai Peninsula, but it's in Hijaz, it's in the Arabian Peninsula. But whatever the case may be, Sinai being the region which may be restricted to the Sinai Peninsula as we know it, know it today, or which may extend slightly further into the northwestern part of Arabia, of the Arabian Peninsula, Whatever the case may be, one of the mountains there is very famous. It's renowned as it is the spot where the bush burned. It's the spot where the bush instantly caught fire. Where the bush from which... This is that spot where Allah summoned the Prophet Musa alayhi salam... And Allah spoke to him directly and revealed to him much. So this is a spot where Allah spoke to the Prophet Musa alayhi salam. And Allah, it's undoubtedly a holy spot. Regarding that, Allah says in another verse of the Qur'an, فَخْلَعْنَ عَلَيْكَ إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ الطُّوَىٰ وَأَنَ اخْتَرْتُكَ فَاسْتَمِعِ لِمَا يُوحَىٰ إِنَّنِي أَنَ اللَّهِ La ilaha illa ana fa'budni. Allah told him, O Musa, remove your sandals. Verily, you are in a blessed valley, the valley of Tua. And I have chosen you. Therefore, listen attentively to what is being revealed to you. Indeed, I am Allah. There is no God besides me, beside me, therefore worship me. So, 
It's a very sacred place. It's sacred in many ways. And one of the reasons of its sanctity is that Allah chose to speak to the Prophet Musa salam. And in fact, it wasn't just because of that. As that verse shows, even before, in fact, in the very first words, Allah told him, remove your sandals, for you are in a blessed valley of Tua. So it's a sacred spot. It's sacred for other reasons. It's also sacred and renowned because that is where Allah chose to speak to the Prophet Musa alayhi salam and reveal his revelations to him. The third verse, and as I said, Sinin refers to Sinai. There are other names of Sinai, Sina, Sina, Sinin. All of them refer to the same thing. So, وَطُورِ السِّينِينَ Allah swears by Mount Sinai in the second verse. The third verse, وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ And this sacred city. This is obviously a reference to Makkah al-Mukarramah. So, Allah swears by the sacred, the secure city, al-Baladi al-Ameen, by this secure city of Makkah. It was secure. And why was it secure? Why does Allah boast of the fact that it is a secure city? And Allah made it a secure city. We have to remember the first audience of these verses and surahs of the Holy Qur'an. They were the people of Mecca, both Muslim and non-Muslim. And the Arabs, the Quraysh of Mecca al-Mukarramah, enjoyed a very privileged position. Their position was such that... They were, although the Quraysh tribe was large and powerful, it wasn't actually the largest or even one of the largest tribes in Arabia. There were many other tribes which were far more numerous and far more powerful militarily. The whole of Arabia contained many tribes in different parts of the desert, in the north, in in all regions. And some of these tribes were immensely powerful militarily to the extent that, uh, as I will inshallah explain when we study the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu because it, it's relevant to this. The, and as I've explained before on a number of occasions, to the northeast and the northwest of Arabia there were very powerful tribes who were vassals and who actually were the fighting force of both the Byzantine Roman Empire and the Sasanid Persian Empire. So you had the Banu Lakhm, who were the vassals and the soldiers, the foot soldiers, and one of the selected armies of the Sasanid Persian Empire. In the northwest of Arabia, you had the Banu Ghassan, who were, again, very powerful, uh, mili- who, who were a powerful military tribe, who fought on behalf of the Byzantine Roman Empire. So these are just two examples. The Quraysh were relatively weaker and smaller than these other tribes. And Makkah al-Mukarramah was, although it's called a city, we shouldn't understand it as a city in modern terms. In modern terms, you could just describe it as a town in the middle of Arabia. The Quraysh enjoyed many privileges and they were, they were respected and revered throughout Arabia. People wouldn't bother them. 
people wouldn't attack them. People wouldn't launch an attack against Makkah al-Mukarramah. Makkah, without an army, was safe. Makkah, even in this land of lawlessness, was highly regarded. And the people of Makkah, the Quraysh, they were relatively immune to kidnappings, to warfare, meaning attacks by others, to raids, to major threats, despite being numerically inferior and militarily inferior and weaker. And the reason was because of the prestige of the Kaaba, the house of Allah and the city of Mecca itself. And Allah refers to this in different verses of the Quran. I explain this in some detail in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fil and Surah Quraysh, in which Allah says, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ جُوعٍ وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ Allah invites the people of the Quraysh, naming them, لَإِلَافِ قُرَيْشٍ إِلَافِهِمْ رِحْلَةِ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ That for the endearment of the Quraysh, for their endearment and for their being accustomed to the journey of the winter and the journey of the summer, Again, this is a reference to the prestige that Allah had given them. That despite being such a small tribe and weak, they had managed to establish diplomatic and trade relations with the Sasanid Persian Empire, the Byzantine Romans, even the Abyssinians. And they enjoyed the protection of all of these major empires to some degree. They were free to come and go and trade freely. And people wouldn't harass them, people wouldn't bother them. So Allah refers to that in that ver- in that surah. And then Allah says, So let these people of Quraysh worship the Lord of this house, the Kaaba, through which Allah has given them so many privileges and so much prestige. And then Allah says, That Allah they should worship, who has freed them by f- from hunger by feeding them. وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ And who has given them security from fear. In another verse of the Qur'an, Allah again refers to that. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا جَعَلْنَا حَرْمًا آمِنًا وَيَتْخَطَّفُ النَّاسُ مِنْ حَوْلِهِمْ أَفَبِالْبَاطِلِ يُؤْمِنُونَ وَبِنِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ يَكْفُرُونَ That do they not see that we have made the haram, the sanctuary of Mecca, amina, secure, whereas all around them people are being snatched. So what do they believe in falsehood? And do they disbelieve in the blessing and favor of Allah? There are other verses also, all of which speak about the sanctuary of Mecca. That those who enter the sanctuary are protected, even now and even then. And it was remarkable that the Arabs would fight against each other, many different tribes. But in these sacred months, and especially in the months of Um, in, in the sacred months, and also in the season of Hajj, and at any other time when people would come to perform Umrah, in that whole region of the Haram, in the sanctuary, which actually extended beyond Makkah al-Mukarramah, in those seasons and in that region, people were safe. People would actually meet with the killers of their own far of their parents, but they would not bother them because of the sanctity of the months and the sanctity of the precincts of the Kaaba. So, it's a secure city. It was then, it is now. And 
referring to that, Allah says, وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينِ And by this secure city. So in the second verse, Allah swears by Mount Sinai. In the third verse, by the secure city of Makkah al-Mukarramah. And what's the common... What's a common denominator, the common factor in both of these second and third verses that Allah swears by, these locations, these places? They are sacred places, and they are places where prophets tread, prophets walked and lived, prophets spoke to Allah and received the revelation. Mount Sinai and the city of Mecca, where the Prophet ﷺ was receiving revelations, and before him the Prophet Ismail and the Prophet Ibrahim ﷺ. Now having looked at verse 2 and 3, let's go back to verse 1. Allah says, وَالدِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ By the fig and the olive. Now undoubtedly, this is a reference to the fig and the olive. Now, the fig, famous fruit... Strictly speaking, it's not actually a fruit. The fig is a flower. It's not actually a fruit, it's a flower. That's why if you go to look at it, it has no central seed. No central stone. And it doesn't have a shell. It's just a very thin skin. And a succulent flesh. But no stone or main seed. So it's actually a flower, not a fruit. But it's a very beautiful flower, nutritious, delicious. And it has many medicinal properties. It's considered a superfood. I won't go into the details or the benefits of it. But it's good enough for Allah to swear by it in the Holy Qur'an. So what theme? By the fig. In fact, there is no other place in the entire Qur'an where the figure is mentioned. It's only mentioned in this verse. The second, again, not a fruit, but a vegetable, was zaytun and the olive. The, again, medicinal properties, the of the olive are very famous, it's nutritious, it has many medicinal properties... It's beneficial in many ways. Again, it's considered superfood. And the it's more famous for its oil, which is olive oil. It's extremely healthy. Strangely, some people are concerned about the fact that ultimately it's still an oil. But the fats contained in olive oil are of a very different kind. They're not, it's not saturated fats. It's monosaturates. Extremely healthy, extremely beneficial. And like all things, as long as it's consumed in moderation. But the olive is also considered a superfood. And unlike the fig, which is only mentioned once in the Qur'an here, the olive and the olive tree and its oil are all mentioned in the Qur'an in different places, in a number of places. So, in fact, Allah calls the olive tree blessed in the Holy Qur'an. So, Allah swears by the fig and the olive. Now, the question here is that we can understand the oath of the second verse and the third verse where Allah swears by Mount Sinai and also uh, the secure city of Mecca. What's the relevance of the fig and the olive? Well, undoubtedly, Allah swears by the fig and the olive. And they are important in themselves. But ultimately, this is a reference to a location rather than 
the fig is referred to and the olive is referred to, but beyond the symbolism of the fig and the olive, we actually have a location, just like Mount Sinai and Makut al-Mukarramah. And one of the regions where this is a reference to Beit al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, where we have a whole mount of olives. So it's very simple. Beyond the fig and the olive, the real reference is to a holy place and a sacred location, just like verse 2 and verse 3. And that location is Beit al-Maqdis, Jerusalem. So again, which like Mount Sinai and the secure city of Mecca is a holy place where Allah spoke to his messengers, where his prophets lived and walked, and where they received the revelation. So in essence, this is an oath of Bayt al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, of Mount Sinai, and of Makkah al-Mukarramah. Swearing by these three holy places, what's the message that this surah delivers? The message is, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ Indeed, we have created man in the most beautiful mold. What does that mean? Allah has created man in the most beautiful mold. First of all, the word taqween, for those of you who know Arabic, you realize that it's actually related to qiyam. And I'm not just saying this now, but traditionally, even the Arabs understood this meaning. Taqween is also a reference to the fact, to being upright. Man of the entire animal kingdom is the only species that walks upright. So we have created man in the most beautiful mold. We have created him upright. So this is is a reference to his physique, his intelligence and his spirit. The whole being of man. Now how has Allah created man in the most beautiful mold? In many different ways. Man is beautiful. And when I say man, I'm referring to humans. Humans are beautiful. In appearance. Without doubt. Although we may not recognize that. We may recognize it in some Maybe not in others. But that's our own prejudice and our own weakness. Allah being the creator of humans, Allah declares that we have created man in the most beautiful mold. To Allah, all humans are beautiful. And there's a very intriguing story about this. Isa ibn Musa al-Hashmi, he was an official in the court of Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, the Abbasid Khalif. He was one day seated with his wife and he was staring at the moon. And captivated by the beauty of the moon, he actually said to his wife, you are divorced thrice if you are not as beautiful as the moon. She was startled by his pronouncement and thinking that she had been divorced, she retreated into seclusion. 
As soon as he realised what he had said, he was overcome by grief, since he was close to the Abbasid Khalifa, Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, who went to him the next day and related his story to him. So Abu Ja'far al-Mansur summoned the fuqaha, the jurists of Baghdad, and they gathered, and he presented the problem to them. They all began to say to him that we can see no other ruling other than that your wife is divorced. For you, you made your divorce contingent to the fact that she is not as beautiful as the moon. If she isn't as beautiful as the moon, or more beautiful than the moon, then she is divorced. And we believe that she can't be as beautiful as the moon. Therefore, we consider her to be divorced. She thought she was divorced. He feared she was divorced. One of those fuqaha jurists was present, was actually one of the students of Imam Muhanifa, rahimahullah. He, he did not mention any ruling. So Abu Ja'far al-Mansur asked him directly, that, what do you say? So he recited the whole surah of Surah Al-Teen. And then he said, Allah says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ That indeed we have created man in the most beautiful mold. So he says, Allah declares that man is the most beautiful, and therefore I say she is more beautiful than the moon, and she isn't divorced. The Jews concurred with him. It's an intriguing story, but it shows that truly man, man being man or woman, humans are beautiful in the sight of Allah, physically. And that's how Allah created them. But it's not just physically. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ We have created man in the most beautiful mold. It's not just about physique. Because Allah has created more to humans than their appearance and their skin. And this bag and sack of flesh, blood and bones... What makes man man, what makes a human human, is the spirit that resides within him. That's the most important. And the fact that Allah has also given man intelligence, higher intelligence, which in some aspects, animals can outdo humans even in some aspects of intelligence. But collectively, overall, without doubt, Allah has blessed man with unique higher intelligence. So Allah has created man beautiful in appearance, in intelligence, and in spirit. However, like anything of this world, nothing is permanent. The only constant is change. Man changes. His appearance changes. His powers of reasoning change. His intelligence changes. His spirituality wanes and fades, waxes and wanes, rises and falls. All of these things undergo constant change. And they need looking after. Consider the attention that we lavish on ourselves as far as our appearance is concerned we are constantly grooming ourselves 
improving ourselves. We see a natural deterioration in man. Allah says in Surah Yasin, وَمَنْ نُعَمِّرْهُ نُنَكِّسْهُ فِي الْخَلْقِ أَفَلَا يَعْقِلُونَ And whoever we advance in age, we flip him in creation, meaning in appearance. The older we get, of course we deteriorate. Things change all the time. In fact, the skin that we had last month, we no longer have. Our skin is constantly shedding. A new skin appears, cell by cell. And we drop this, these cells of skin all the time as we eat, sleep, walk, rise and rest. It doesn't matter what position or posture, we are constantly shedding the cells of our skin. But remarkably, within 30 days, man replaces his entire skin. So nothing's constant, we're always changing. And we always see a deterioration in our appearance, in our strength, in our looks. We're always trying to curb and curtail and check this decline and deterioration, cosmetics, makeup. The way through grooming, trying to look after ourselves. But Allah says, And whoever we give age, whoever we advance in age, and that's everyone. We flip him in creation, meaning in appearance. Not just appearance, but in bodily strength. Allah has made that a sign for people to reflect on. What do they not understand? That this is what, what will happen to us ultimately. We are far from perfect, we're beautiful. As the creation of Allah, we are far from perfect. And this decline and deterioration are natural. But that's just physical. But even in intelligence, Allah, in the verse of the Quran, He is returned to old age. To the senility of old age, so that he does not know anything after having known. When a person reaches old age, it's like a second childhood. We, we decline in many ways, not just in physical appearance, but in our mental agility, in our mental prowess, in our understanding, our logic, our reasoning, our cognition, our mental abilities. We grow weaker through memory loss, etc., Allah flips us in our creation. So we are never constant, we're always changing. Scientists say that one of the ways of, and this is through a lot of research and empirical evidence and observation, that one of the ways of combating memory loss, of the weakening of our mental powers, one of the ways of combating mental weakness in old age, senility, and a number of other diseases, is by ensuring that our brains remain active. As I say, use it to lose it. So those who constantly remain engaged in brain activity, especially in middle age, but most importantly throughout their lives, they, they do not suffer the same loss as 
others do who don't remain engaged in mental activity throughout their lives. It doesn't mean that they will always remain at the peak of their powers, no. Because everyone suffers a decline. But it will not be as severe. So again, we are being advised to engage in behaviours that checks, that check and curtail and curb this decline and loss of our mental powers. We're trying everything. But the one area when we, where we do not try to curb or challenge or curtail our decline and deterioration is the spirit, which is in fact the most important. Because it doesn't matter how we look or how we appear. It doesn't matter how beautiful we are. If our core, our inner being is rotten, is empty, then we are of no use to ourselves or to anybody else. And we are of the least interest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a hadith related by Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Inna Allah la yandhru ila adsadikum wala ila suwarikum, walakin yandhru ila qulubikum wa a'malikum. Indeed, Allah does not look at your bodies or your appearances. Rather, Allah looks at your hearts and your deeds. And in another hadith, again of Muslim, related by Imam Muslim, from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنْذُرُ إِلَىٰ صُوَرِكُمْ وَأَمْوَالِكُمْ وَلَاكِنْ يَنْذُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ وَأَعْمَالِكُمْ Indeed, Allah does not look at your appearances or your wealth. Rather, Allah looks at your hearts and your deeds. Hearts and deeds are what matter to Allah, not appearances. Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, leading hypocrite and munafiq of Medina, was a very handsome man. I've explained before in the story of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha and on previous occasions that he was the uncrowned king of Medina. And prior to the arrival of the Prophet ﷺ, he was on the verge of being declared the leader and the king of Medina. They had even sewn clothes for him, and they had prepared his wreath and a crown for him. But as soon as the Prophet ﷺ arrived, he lost that forever. And this was part of his reason for his bitterness and enmity towards the Prophet ﷺ, because he felt that the Prophet ﷺ had usurped his authority and had robbed him of his crown and kingdom of Medina. So, and why was he about to be declared the king of Medina? It wasn't hereditary. So it wasn't like he was totally unworthy by virtue of his father being the king before him. In f- uh, he was now about to be crowned king simply because he was the heir and the crown prince. No, far from it. Medina had no history of monarchy. So he was actually about to become the first monarch. And that was not through, that was not by virtue of heredity. That was by virtue of his own abilities. He was, he was capable in many ways. He was tall, handsome, 
charismatic, prepossessing, of, of a sweet and alluring voice. He commanded a presence. He was a natural born leader. He was respected and revered. He was wise. He was intelligent. He had all the qualities of being declared the leader of the whole city of Medina by virtue alone, by merit, not by not through a hereditary monarchy. That says a lot about him. And that's what even then Allah says of him in the Quran, Allah actually attests to that. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ in Surah Al-Munafiqoon Allah says وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِن يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ Allah says when you look at them تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ their bodies astound you, please you and that's Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul he was prepossessing his appearance was captivating he was very handsome <coughs> A leader, he had the charm and the charisma and the commanding presence. Further, Allah says, وَإِن يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And if they speak, you will listen attentively to them. He, his voice was sweet and alluring, powerful. His message was powerful. He was wise, intelligent, he was extremely eloquent and articulate. Despite all of these qualities, things, qualities that everyone aspires to, Allah says, كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشَبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ Despite this outward appearance, and this beauty, and glamour, and charisma, and charm, and eloquence, Allah says, كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشَبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ His reality is such, their reality is such, that they are about as useful as propped up planks of wood. That's all. كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشَبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ They are as useful as propped up planks of wood. Imagine, what a contrast. So, Allah does not look at appearances or bodies. Beauty, if it's not matched, external beauty, if it's not matched by inner beauty, is of no use or of no interest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah looks not at your bodies or your appearances, rather Allah looks at your hearts and your deeds. That's why in a hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Rubba ash'atha aghbar, mudfu'in bil abwaab, law aqsama ala Allah la abarrah. There are many who are ash'ath, meaning disheveled, unkempt. There are many who are disheveled, unkempt, flailing wild hair, ragged, of appearance, disheveled and unkempt, aghbar, covered in dust. There are many who are disheveled and unkempt, aghbar, covered in dust, madfu'in bil abwaab, driven away from the doors. So their appearance, their presence is such that when they knock on the door, people open the door, give them one look and slam the door shut in their face. They're not worth speaking to apparently. There are many who are disheveled, unkempt in appearance, covered in dust, driven away from the doors. If that same person was to take an oath in the name of Allah, Allah would ensure that their oath does not go unfulfilled. Allahu Akbar. 
What matters to Allah is not the appearance or the exterior. What matters to Allah is the interior. But just as Allah has created man beautiful, but that beauty deteriorates and declines and undergoes change. Just as Allah has created man with beautiful intelligence, but that mind, that beautiful mind also undergoes change and you know how unique the brain is, Allahu Akbar. How unique this mind is that Allah has given man. Scientists say categorically that it's the most complex organism known to man in the entire universe. Meaning not just the earth, the human brain is the most complex organism Known to, known to us in the entire universe. Subhanallah. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنُ الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِينَ But even that undergoes deterioration and decline. But do you know what's even more remarkable than, than the human body? Something that's even more remarkable than that most complex organism known to man in the entire universe. Something even more remarkable than these two things. Something even more beautiful, even more sublime, is a ruh of man, his spirit. Unfortunately, it's most neglected. Allah has created the spirit of man most beautiful. But... Like the other two things, the body and the mind, the spirit also undergoes change. And it undergoes a deterioration and decline. We try everything in our power to challenge and curb and check the decline and deterioration of the body and the mind. Anti-aging products, anti-wrinkling products, cosmetics, male and female. Medicine. You may have recently read about some experiments that carried out on some rats, where they were able to discover a gene which is connected to ageing. And they hope to conduct trials on these rats to see if they can halt or reverse the ageing process by manipulating these genes. So it's, 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 a, it's one of the constant and enduring and perennial pursuits of man to find a cure or something to check the decline of man, to check aging. So whilst we try to check and curb this decline and deterioration of our bodies, of our minds, we do absolutely nothing to check the decline of our spirits, which is in fact the most important. Because... It reduces us to the lowest of the low. You see, man, no matter how corrupt he is, his appearance is still the same. As far as the body is concerned, we're not talking about clothing here, but as far as body is concerned, a man of great virtue and merit, standing next to a man of great evil and corruption, appear to be the same. You would not be able to tell the difference between the two. So no matter how... High a person rises spiritually or drops spiritually. Their appearance remains the same. And as far as the mind is concerned, people 
those who are those who are who are of a criminal bent or those who are corrupt, they have the same mental powers and agility of those who are good. If anything, they use their brains in corruption and in crime. So there doesn't seem to be that much of a difference between the good and the bad, the good and the evil, when it comes to the body or the mind. But when it comes to the spirit, man can rise to such a degree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevated the prophets over even the highest of angels. When the Prophet ﷺ was taken on that miraculous journey of Mi'raj, there came a point, Jibreel ﷺ accompanied him from earth, from Makkah to Baytul Maqdis, which we spoke about in the beginning, and from Baytul Maqdis to the heavens, and on that great journey and tour of the heavens, but there came a time when Jibreel ﷺ said to the Prophet ﷺ, this is that same Jibreel, who when the Qur'an was first revealed, and he appeared to him in his true form, the Prophet ﷺ was overwhelmed and awestruck by the appearance of Jibreel. For he filled the horizon. That same Jibreel ﷺ now tells the Prophet ﷺ, this is where we part, for I cannot proceed beyond this point. He must go alone. <coughs> He was the leader of the angels. Prophet ﷺ was a man. But Allah elevated the prophets over the greatest of angels. And man, as I explained in the tafsir of Surah Al-Asr, Allah has made angels such that Allah has given them intelligence. Allah has fused intelligence in them, high intelligence. Allah has, fused, Allah has given them light. Allah created them from light. Allah has instilled in them great and noble qualities. But they undergo no change. Angels are as they are. They never disobey Allah and they remain the same. Animals. Allah has created animals in such a way that they are at the opposite end of the spectrum. If we look at the animal, if we look at angels, they neither have the need or the desire to eat, to drink, to rest, to sleep, to procreate. They have none of these desires, demands, or weaknesses. At the other end of the spectrum, but they have intelligence, they worship Allah, they praise Allah, they are obedient to Allah, and they have high intelligence and nur, light. At the other end of the spectrum, we have animals. Animals have been deprived of this higher intelligence. And animals have been endowed with certain, or animals have been given certain characteristics. The need and the desire for food, for drink, for rest, for recreation and procreation. And that's all they engage in. And animals feel an instinctive need for survival, and they fight for that survival. These are the bestial characteristics and qualities of the animals, the beasts. The angels never fall from their lofty position. And the animals never rise above their lowly position. Allah has created man in between. He shares characteristics of the animals and the angels. Man worships Allah just like the angels. Man hymns 
Allah's praise and glory just like the angels. Man has been endowed with high intelligence just like the angels. Man has been given certain majestic qualities just like the angels. But at the same time, man has, man shares the characteristics of the beast. Man has not only a need, but also a desire to eat, drink, to rest, to, re- uh, to indulge in recreation and procreation. As a result, man fluctuates between these two. He either rises to the heights of the angels and can do so, he has that potential, or he can sink to the lowest of the law. And that's what Allah mentions in the Qur'an here. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ Indeed, we have created man in the best, in the most beautiful mold. ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ Then we reduced him to the lowest of the law. In a verse of the Holy Qur'an, Allah says, وَلَقَدْ ذَرَأْنَا لِجَهَنَّمَ كَثِيرًا مِّنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ And indeed, we have created for Jahannam many jinn and many men. لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ بِهَا وَلَهُمْ أَعْيُنٌ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ بِهَا وَلَهُمْ آذَانٌ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ بِهَا أُولَٰئِكَ كَلَنْعَامِ بَلْ هُمْ أَضَلْ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ الْغَافِلُونَ Allah says, Verily, we have created for Jahannam many amongst the jinn and the men. They have hearts with which they do not understand. And they have eyes with which, with which they do not see. And they have ears with which they do not listen. They are like the animals, cattle. Nay, they are even more misguided. They are heedless and negligent. So, man can either rise to such a height that Allah boasts of these men to the angels who are in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many authors of hadith relate the following famous hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his angels out amongst the creation to locate gatherings where the Allah is remembered. So the angels travel across the world. Wherever they find a few people gathered, where Allah's name is being taken, they surround them. And they build a tunnel from that gathering of dhikr all the way to the heavens. And they return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah, despite knowing all, asks them, this is the general meaning of a number of ahadith, how did you find my servants? He said, oh Allah, they gathered in your name. What do they want? They seek your forgiveness. And entry into Jannah. What do they fear? They fear your displeasure and the fire of Jahannam. So Allah says to them, O angels, I make you witnesses unto this decree of mine, that I have given them what they ask, I have forgiven them their sins, granted them entry into paradise, and I have protected them from what they fear, and shielded them from the fire of Jahannam. So the angels say, but O Allah, there were those amongst them who were not gathered for this purpose. They came with another intention, such as, They just came along because somebody strung them along. They came because they wanted to meet someone. But not for the gathering of ilm and dhikr and the remembrance of Allah. 
So the angels protest and say, Oh Allah, but there were those amongst them who were not of them, who never came and gathered with this intention. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declares that I have forgiven them also and given them Jannah also. And then Allah says, speaking of the others, that the others are such compatriots that even their companions are not deprived of their blessing. So, when the angels protest, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors the humans over the protests of the angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala boasts, there are many hadith in which it's mentioned that Allah boasts of His servants to His angels. So, man can rise to that height or he can fall to the lowest of the low. And how is that done? It's nothing to do with the appearance of man, the body. It's nothing to do with the mind of man. When Allah says they have hearts by which they do not understand, they have eyes with which they do not see, they have ears with which they do not hear, Allah is not speaking of the physically disabled, of the blind and the deaf, or those who are mentally challenged and therefore unable to understand. Allah is speaking of those who look perfect in their appearance, who have sound vision, sound sight, sound sense of hearing, and who have healthily beating hearts, and who have a sharp mind. And yet despite the presence of these senses, they do not fulfill their function. They do not recognize truth where there is truth. In fact, they see falsehood where there is truth. They see light where there is darkness. They see darkness where there is light. Their understanding is flipped and inverted. Their their faculty of hearing is disabled. Not physically, but spiritually. They are blind spiritually, though not physically. So... Good and evil is not recognized just by the mind or the body, but it's actually because of the spirit. This is the most important part of the human being. The most remarkable part of the human being. More remarkable, more miraculous than even his mind and even his body. But that is the thing which matters the most. That is what determines whether a person remains beautiful or in the most beautiful mold. Or is reduced to the lowest of the low. This is why when Allah says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ Indeed, we have created man in the most beautiful mold. Then we reduced him to the lowest of the low. How is that done? Although he suffers deterioration in appearance and mental powers and agility, the most important, the most damaging deterioration is in the spirit. That's why Allah says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ except for those who believe and who do good deeds. And this is similar to Surah Al-Asr, in which Allah says, and we covered this tafsir a few months ago, وَالْعَسْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ By time, indeed man is in a great state of loss, except for those who believe and who do good deeds. وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ and who counsel one another and remind one another of the truth and of patience. So the only way to check 
this decline, the only way to curb this deterioration, the only way to reverse this negative trend, the only way to stop this fall of the spirit is by iman and al-amal salihah Iman and good deeds, faith and good deeds. In both surahs, Allah mentions exactly the same thing. Man, by time, man is in a great state of loss, except those who believe and who do good deeds. Here, we have created man in the most beautiful mold, and then we have reduced him to the lowest of the low, except those who believe and who do good deeds. Those who believe in Allah and who do good deeds, not only will they reverse this trend, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will elevate them. Allah will reward them. And what a reward Allah says, فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ For them is a reward uninterrupted. It will never be cut off. غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ means غَيْرُ مَقْطُورَ It will never be cut off. For them is a reward uninterrupted. After having said this, Allah Azza wa says, فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ So what then leads you to rejecting the judgment? When you see all of these signs of Allah in you, in others around you, in the world around you. When you see the fragility of life and the shortness of life. When you see the reality of the worldly life. And indeed, look at us. We are born. We think we're great. We are beautiful. Allah has made us beautiful. But in many aspects, animals outdo us. We aim for a long life, a tortoise lives longer than us. Far, far longer. A tortoise can live, despite its docility, and its indolence, and laziness, and its total lack of aggression. And its apparent failure to fight for survival. If you compare a cheetah, or a lion, or a tiger, see the way these animals dart and hunt and prey and challenge and are forever on the alert. See how they rip and devour. Look at their speed and their ferocity. And yet within a few years they die. This is their fight for survival, their instinct for survival. On the other hand, you've got the tortoise. Does it appear to be darting about, fighting for survival? Nothing. Docile, dreamy, dozy, indolent, lazy, sleepy, slow. And yet it outlives, forget cats, it outlives three generations of man. So what is the length of our life? Compared even to other animals. And compared to, the, compared to the vast nature of time. We come, we go. What are we trying to preserve? We try to protect and preserve our appearance. Within a few years we will deteriorate. We try to hold on to this mind. We can't remember what we had for breakfast. Within a few years, we suffer immensely. That is a natural deterioration. 
The real deterioration that we should be concerned about is that of the heart, is that of the spirit. And when we look at the reality and the fragility of life, what are we trying to hold on to? What are we trying to flee from? Are we really trying to escape from death and its aftermath? Are we trying to flee from our departure from this world and our journey into the next world? Are we trying to flee from the judgment of Allah? When we see these signs in us of change, of deterioration, this is a sign. Why does Allah say, فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ So then what leads you to rejecting the judgment? So what is it in the previous few verses that should make us understand or that should help us understand the judgment and its day? What is there in the previous verses? Apparently there's nothing. Well, apparently all we have is a fig and the olive, Mount Sinai, the secure city of Mecca, and the fact that man Allah has created. That is the message. These are just oaths. The message is just one, that Allah has created man in the most beautiful mold and we have reduced him to the lowest of the low. What is it in that one message alone which prevents us from rejecting the day of judgment? What is it? This is it. It's the realization that this world is not permanent. It's the realization that we are not here for good. It's the self-awareness that should arise in us when we look at ourselves. We are not bewitched by our own beauty. We realize that though we are beautiful, that is short-lived. Within a few years, even our physical appearances deteriorate. Our minds, our brains deteriorate. And that should help us realize that this dunya is not permanent, far from it. And we are only at our peak for a short time. And then there is that natural decline and fall and deterioration. And if something rises and then falls and deteriorates, what happens to it? Ultimately, it will peter out and then disappear. It will decline. And its decline will be for good. Its fall will be for permanent. So when we age, that is a sign for us. That's why in another verse of the Holy Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That did we not give you such age? Did we not give you such an age? That anyone who would take heed should have, t- who would take heed would have taken heed. And the warner came to you. According to some interpretations from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, you know who the warner is? According to some narrations, and the warner came to you, meaning not the Prophet, but the warner is white hair. Age. So Allah is speaking about age. Did we not give you sufficient age? That in that age, anyone who would have and who could have taken heed, would have taken heed. And the warner came to you, meaning white hair. As we grow older, we should realize that we are weak in body and in mind. We are declining and we are heading towards death. The ultimate decline. And all of this will come to an end. 
Do we lead an aimless life? Is this all without purpose? Are we merely just like animals, fighting for survival, to eat, drink, to indulge in procreation and recreation? Is that all we have been created for? As in another verse, Allah says, أَفَحْسِبْتُمْ أَنَّمَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ عَبَثًا وَأَنَّكُمْ إِلِنَا لَا تُرْجَعُونَ فَتَعَالَ اللَّهُ الْمَلِكُ الْحَقِّ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْكَرِيمِ Allah says, so what? Do you think that we have created you aimlessly? Without purpose? عَبَثًا And that you will not be returned to us? No. So let so be exalted. Allah, the true sovereign, there is no God but He, the Lord of the noble throne. So, we have not been created without purpose. This life is not aimless. There is a direction, there is a goal, there is a purpose, there is order, there is form. And with this deterioration and decline that we witness every day, you know what the message is? What, what what should what should just that one verse that we have created man in the best mold and we have reduced him to the lowest of the low how is that a message for us to remember the akhirah do you know how often every morning when we look in the mirror every morning when we look in the mirror every time we open up our photo album oh that's so old every time you flick through your photos on your smartphone or on your Flickr Instagram accounts. Every time you look at your pictures, and you see yourself a few years ago, even a few days ago, you should be reminded of this journey in life and this decline. Every time we look in the mirror, it should be a reminder to us. But I am not who I am, who I was yesterday. I am heading somewhere. I am losing it. I am declining. Where am I going? What is my ultimate destination? What is my destiny? All of this is a reminder. The fact that we undergo change and always for the worse. Of course, there comes a period prior during our adolescence and teenage years until we reach maturity. But once we reach that maturity, there is a steady decline. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, does not this make you think of the hereafter, your purpose, your destiny. This is why Allah says, فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ So therefore, what after this makes you reject the judgment, the day of judgment? We are heading for accountability and judgment. And of that, Allah says, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ Is Allah not the most judge of judges? We will face Allah. There is accountability. This is what should lead us through life. Without accountability, without the fear of accountability, man is extremely weak. Man will try to circumvent laws. Man will, man will indulge in bestial, animalistic behavior. Man will never aspire to rising above that lowly station of the beasts and the animals. But this fear of accountability, this fear, this awareness of reckoning and judgment, and this realization that I have a purpose in life, 
I have a goal and a destiny and a destination. And I have a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I met an accountant too, he's here. And I was speaking to this accountant just two weeks ago, who was with me for a short while. He was looking very stressed. And he said to me, make dua tomorrow, I've got a meeting with a tax inspector. So I said, for you? So he said, no, for one of my clients. So I said to him, what are you stressed for? So this is a professional accountant, a chartered tax accountant. And he was stressed and constantly reminding me to pray and hoping for the best because he has a meeting with one tax, one local tax inspector. And not even for himself, but for one of his clients. I said, what are you worried for? No matter what happens, how does it impact him? He's just a professional accountant. SubhanAllah. If someone can be so worried and stressed out about someone else's accountability for a few pounds and pennies with a local tax inspector, what of our day of deen and judgment and reckoning with Ahkamul Hakimi? With the most judge of just, the most just of judges. What of our accountability? What of our reckoning? Allahu Akbar. I end with this, that's the final verse. Imam Tirmidhi and Imam Abu Dawood, both relate a hadith in which it's reported that the Prophet said, when anyone recites Surah Wat-Deen and reads this verse, Allahu that is Allah not the most just of judges, then he should say, Bala wa an ala dhalika min shahideen Of course, and I am one of the witnesses of this. So when, when we hear, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ Is Allah not the most just of judges? Our reply should be, Bala, of course. وَأَنَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ مِنَ الشَّاهِدِينَ And I am over this one of the witnesses. I pray that Allah... Mind you, that hadith has been declared weak because one of the narrators is unknown, but that's only for the ulama and the talabatul ilm amongst you. But uh, that is uh, hadith of Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood. I end with this. Allah Azzawajal enable us to understand the words of the Holy Qur'an. May Allah make us amongst those who are able to appreciate our beauty of body, mind, and most importantly, spirit. May Allah make us amongst those who preserve and protect that beauty of the spirit and who prepare for our day of reckoning and judgment with the most just and the best of judges. I'll translate the surah finally and we'll end with that. وَالدِّينِ zaytun by the fig and the olive. وَطُورِ sinin and by Mount Sinai. وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ and by the secure city. Verily, we have created man in the most beautiful mold. Then we have reached. Indeed, we have created man in the most beautiful mold. Then indeed, we have reduced him to the lowest of the low. Except for those who believe and who do good deeds. So for them is a reward uninterrupted. So what thereafter then reject, makes you reject? The judgment. Is Allah not the most just of the judges? Sallallahu sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.
This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.